welcome back to Two Peas in a Podcast, where we are down to one pea, your host, Laura Morrell. A podcast where no conversation is off topic. Welcome back to Two Peas in a Podcast with your host, Laura Morrell. And for today's episode, I wanted to give you my top tips with relationships, mindset, nutrition, and training. And I didn't want to just give your typical um, sort of generic tips, which is like move your body, get some steps in. I really wanted to provide tips that is really holistically. And when I think of the word holistically, I think how can doing one thing trickle into all aspects of your life? And when I think about wanting to improve quality of life, I think happier in mindset, nutrition, training, and relationships. So I hope this episode does help you in either one or all of these categories, but let's dive into it. So to kick off, I wanted to dive into mindset first of all. So why I chose to start off with mindset is because it has become a buzzword. It has become pop culture and we've really lost the meaning to it, right? Because we see it all over social media. We see meditate and journal and all these beautiful morning routines, but let's be real. They aren't really realistic. I know when I do a morning routine, it does not look like this glamorized morning routine I see on social media. It's hard. It's quiet. I'm doing it in my pajamas. My pajamas are mismatched. Like it's not glamorous whatsoever. But the reason we do want to focus on mindset is because this is the biggest issue. With eating behaviors, self-sabotaging behaviors, the mindset is always the biggest issue. It's never the food. It's never the training. It's our mindset towards things. So we have to acknowledge that that's one thing we really need to focus on. And what's really important is a lot of coaches and practitioners aren't specialized in helping to address these behaviors. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit uh, later on. But my number one tip in terms of where do we start with mindset? How do I stop? And one word I want you all to understand is metacognition. Now, what metacognition is, it's your ability to think about your thoughts. So think about it. We have over 80,000 thoughts a day and we run on 95% autopilot, which means we are not really aware and consciously aware of our thoughts, but we have to bring that awareness in because it is so important to understand what we are thinking if we are going to change it. So my top tip is to create self-awareness or start learning about metacognition, metacognition. And you can do this multiple ways, taking deep breaths, really slowing down, meditate and journal. And that's why we do it. Not only does meditation and journaling help strengthen the prefrontal cortex and that part of the brain controls willpower, decision-making, executive function, all the things we need to create change, but it allows us to think about our thoughts. So meditation isn't about having a clear mind because the biggest um, challenge I guess we get with, with meditation is women do say, I'm just too busy. My mind is too busy. My, my I can't turn my thoughts off. You don't have to turn your thoughts off. What you want to learn to do, and this is why it's hard, is you actually want to learn, how can I, when I start to lose track, come back to my breath? Because you think of one thing and then you're down this rabbit hole of spiraling thoughts and it might start with, 
oh, I hear a bird outside. And then all of a sudden you're thinking you're fat. What are you going to eat for dinner? You need a restriction. You start a diet tomorrow. Oh my God, what did that person taste? And the spiral begins. By meditating, it just teaches you come back to your breath, come back to center. And that's what we call anchoring points. And anchoring points are really important, especially throughout the day. So we don't live a life of reactions and self-sabotaging behaviors. So number one tip for mindset is bring in self-awareness and metacognition. My number two is understanding what we call the cognitive triad. That cognitive triad is your thoughts, feelings, and actions, and they all interrelate. What you think determines what you feel, determines your actions, but your actions can actually dictate your feelings and thoughts, and your feelings can dictate your thoughts and actions. So where do we start? Understanding this cognitive triad allows you to realize, okay, I need to stop. And I need to think about my thought because that thought becomes a feeling, right? So I'll give you an example. Say, for example, you're sitting on the couch and, you know, you're um, slouching over and you're like, oh, my God, I have a stomach roll. That thought then becomes a feeling of, oh, my God, I feel fat. That all of a sudden brings those feelings of disgust, disappointment, shame. And then of course, what could the action be? You might choose to restrict diet, to restrict yourself from food or the flip side, you might want to go for comfort food. So again, that thought of, oh, I see a role, I feel a role, feeling guilt, shame, disgust, action, restrict or binge. So you can see how the thought determines the feelings, determine the actions. Now, what's really important with this cognitive triad is if you have a coach come in, And they're like, all right, just stop the binge eating. Just stop. Try harder. Say no. Brush your teeth. Go for a walk. If you're still thinking the same and you're still feeling the same, there's a good chance that, yes, you might be able to hold off from binging for an hour, two hours, maybe one day, two days, maybe two weeks. But if you're not changing your thoughts to change your feelings, it's always going to be the same action. So no matter what coach you have, no matter what program you have, If you're constantly just trying to change the action, but nothing else in the cognitive triad, you're going to get to that same place. And that's where we have the self-sabotage behaviors. So my tip number two is start to think about how can I change my thought to feel differently and to take a different action? And I'm not going to lie, this is quite hard, which leads me to my third tip. Have someone like a practitioner or a psychologist to help you be accountable for doing this mindset work. What I see day in, day out is I do see women who want to change and they, for example, might nail the nutrition and might nail the training, but they don't do that mindset work. They don't believe in creating that self-awareness and doing that work of um, being in the moment to rewire the thought pattern. And then all of a sudden, one week, two weeks, maybe six weeks in, we end up self-sabotaging, maybe end up binging again. So really having a practitioner, maybe even someone that specializes in mindset can really help you to start to rewire your thought patterns because we want to change our thought. We want to change the feeling to change the action because that thought, feeling, action, cognitive triad is what equals your behavior. So you can't just change the behavior. You need the cognitive triad to change the behavior. So I hope those top three tips will really help with mindset because, again, I didn't want to make them generic, just think positive, um, you know, just journal. I wanted you to understand why that is all important. So to run through that again, 
Mindset is the leading cause of self-sabotaging behaviors, whether that's with food, training, all or nothing, work, lifestyle, relationships. Mindset is where we see the biggest challenge. So tip number one, create self-awareness and metacognition. Two great ways, as I mentioned, journaling and meditation. Number two is prioritize your mindset and understand your cognitive triad, trying to change the thought, feeling, action pyramid. And the third is make sure you do have someone like a practitioner or a psychologist or even a friend to just help you be accountable for actually doing that mindset work. So let's dive into the next one. Let's dive into nutrition. Now with nutrition, the biggest issue here is we are not taught how to eat. When in our lives, for example, we're in primary school, we might learn the food pyramid. Then we go to high school, we're retaught the food pyramid. Now the food pyramid has been outdated for so long because look at what's on the bottom, grains, breads, and what's at the top, fruits, meat, proteins. So we know, and it has been updated now, which is amazing, but that's the knowledge majority of us grew up with. And then we kind of go from a caretaker giving us food, we don't have much say in it, to then all of a sudden we're out on our own, maybe as a teenager or early 20s, and we're all of a sudden at uni at work and we're buying takeout, we're drinking more, we're having more takeaway. And then we start seeing weight gain, mid-20s, end of 20s, maybe early 30s, and then we're like, oh, I need to go on a diet. So we go from home-cooked meals, mum and dad, or caretaker, to being out on our own, getting drunk a lot more, exploring, being young, take out, to then I've gained weight, I need to diet. And that is usually the common theme I do see. So we're not actually taught to build out meals. How do we actually create a protein, fats, and carbs meal? How many times a day should we be eating? How much should we be eating? Why is carbs important? Why are fats important? Why are proteins important? The only thing we see is what we should take out of our diet. How can we make our diet less? Less calories is better. Carbs are bad. Fats are bad. Proteins bad. It is so conflicting. So the biggest reason we need to prioritize nutrition is so you learn And you know how to eat for your body the rest of your life. And this is what we specialize at LMW. We teach you how to eat. We actually ran a nutrition competition recently. Now, this was meant to be just a two-week fun competition. And of course, me being me, I made it into a little two-week boot camp, a little two-week nutrition boot camp. And it was amazing because the girls learned how to read nutrition labels. They learned how to eat, uh, sorry, eat when they go out and read menus. They learn about protein, fats, and carbs. They learned about micronutrients. They learned about how to have flexibility. And if something goes wrong, for example, you're working late or the kids get sick, how can we plan quick meals or have access to really good, healthy, quick meals? So we want to spend that time. So again, the biggest areas I reckon we do need to focus on is what to learn is main meals throughout the week. How do I organize my nutrition? No one is going to save you. And I'm so honest with the girls in saying that. We we kind of just expect, I'll start next week. I'll start tomorrow. Work's busy. But it's like your work doesn't care about what you eat. Your family aren't going to check in and be like, are you organizing your food throughout the week? It's up to us to look after our bodies and make sure we're organizing our food. Now, I don't use the word meal prep with my clients. I feel... It has such a negative connotation because it's kind of like dieting. 
So I use the term nutrition organization. Now, how much better does that language sit with you? Because instead of meal prepping to start a diet, you're organizing your nutrition for the week. Just like you organize your clothes for the week for work, just like you organize your training clothes to go and train, just like you organize your kids' school lunches and their school uniforms, why wouldn't we organize our food for the week as well? So we kind of just skip this period of learning how to organize our our meals. But it is really important to create balance because one thing I teach my clients is zooming out. If we have, for example, 40 meals a week and 35 of those are home-cooked, easy, nutritious meals, and you can even have two to five meals out, you are still going to reach your goals. Because if you zoom out five compared to to 35 home-cooked meals is still going to get you there. So biggest areas we need to learn is how do I build out my nutrition throughout the week to be organized? How do I know how to eat out? Because a lot of the time we go to restaurants and cafes and what we kind of do is we go for the worst thing on the menu, straight to the burgers and pizzas, but we don't actually know how to read a menu. And what's really important, and maybe I'll do another whole new podcast on this one, but it's it's learning how to actually eat out. Is there enough protein in the meal? What is my carb source? What fats are in there? And that's really important because we have different types of hunger too. We don't want to go straight to the junk food, but we don't want to go straight to the healthy food because it might not it might not feel fuel our soul hunger. So we have a mental hunger, we have a heart hunger, and then we have obviously a physical hunger. So when we're going out, we need to learn what's going to hit my protein to keep me fuller, what's going to give me my protein and fats, and what do I actually feel like eating? Because if you restrict your soul food, then you will end up binging. And of course, understanding, as I mentioned, the different types of hunger. We have a physical hunger. We have a mental hunger and we have a soul or heart hunger. But knowing these different types will help you remove that all or nothing behavior. So my top tips for nutrition, learn the foundations of building out meals. Not one of my girls when they start the program ever start in a deficit. We never skip the foundations, which is learning how to build out meals. And inclusive of that is how to have meals and how to learn when life gets stressful as well. So prioritize protein is number two. We live in a world where we don't eat enough protein. Um, and it is extremely important to make sure for so many different reasons. And again, I will do another podcast. But just to put it simply, it keeps us fuller for longer. It burns more calories. It's better for our metabolism. It creates amino acids that um, help our digestion, help our mental health. We need it for cellular function. And I could honestly just go on. But the biggest thing, because we do live in a world where we do overeat or binge eat, prioritizing protein is the first thing to reduce cravings and keep us fuller for longer. Number three, learn how to eat out and read menus. This is so important because sometimes when we start a health program, we're like, okay, I can't go out for 12 weeks. No. When was the last time you didn't eat out? I will eat out anywhere between three to five times per week. It is part of my normal routine. And I remember the days when I used to eat out of a Tupperware container and I wouldn't eat out. And it's not realistic. It never will be. So we have to normalize eating out and think of eating out simply as, well, one, it's going to taste better because it's cooked by a chef. Two, 
it's also a one less meal I have to cook. And if you think of it that way, you can still order a beautiful, healthy meal. It doesn't always have to be the chips, burger or pizza. Number three, number four is learn your behaviors around food. Are you emotionally eating? Are you boredom eating? Are you eating out of distraction? Are you stress eating? Um, All those are really important because we have to identify the behavior in order to have the right solution to create a new relationship with food. So that is nutrition. So again, I didn't want to give generic advice. I really wanted to give you some practical tools that can get you started. So top tips for improving your nutrition, learn the foundations of building out meals, prioritize your protein, learn how to eat out, read menus, and also normalizing eating out. And then learn your behaviors around food, whether that's emotional, boredom, distraction, stress eating, all of the above. So let's dive into training now. And again, the biggest issue with training I do see is the all or nothing. When we start a diet, we probably then decide, okay, I'm going to start training now. And then we fall off the diet. We fall off the track of training as well. And this is probably the biggest thing I do see when working with women. So I want to ask you, have a think about this, but when was the last time you trained for your health? When was the last time you trained to move your body? When was the last time you trained to progress in numbers or progress in strength rather than just training to burn calories. And if you can't remember the last time, I highly recommend working with a coach, a PT, to really learn how to. Now, the issue with social media is it's so glamorized and what sells is your training for weight loss. If you saw on social media, train to get strong or train for body composition or you know, train for mental health, you would probably flip past it. But then if you put, if you saw a post saying, uh, toning workout, lose 10 kilos, subconsciously our brain is automatically, automatically interested because of diet culture. So again, unfortunately, social media does glamorize this. So these are the biggest things we see with, with training these days. So this is why we want to learn how to end the all or nothing. We want to learn how to de-glamorize training so it becomes sustainable and not just for weight loss, but also the other benefits. And then we also want to make sure when starting to train for the other reasons, health, movement, progression, hitting numbers, strength, rather than just burning calories. So my top tips, number one, change to the idea, change your idea of movement. So, for example, I know Step Targets has become this whole big shebang these days, right? Everybody has a Step Target. Do I use them with my clients? Absolutely. So when I have new clients start with me, we do use a Step Target because a Target is a trigger or an indicator to help you move your body a little bit more. But we don't want to have Step Targets the rest of our lives. You don't see cavemen sitting there looking at their pedometers going, oh, I've only done 5,000 steps today. This is a fun fact, but the 10,000 step cal- the step um, 10,000 step goal actually came from 1960. It was leading up to the Japan Olympics and a company that was creating a pedometer actually wanted a way to market this pedometer. So they created a challenge. Now, 
They created 10,000 out of nowhere. It's not based on science. It's not based on studies. They just chose 10,000 steps. And then since 1960, we have been using this 10,000 step goal. There are a few issues with this. Number one, it's not suitable to everyone's lifestyle. If you're a mom of four and you run a business or you run a business or you work full time, 10,000 steps can be quite a stretch goal. So again, changing the idea of movement can be removing the idea of having a step target to have I got my daily movement in. And instead of thinking you have to train at the gym, how else can I get my movement in? So for example, when I have clients going away on holiday, a lot of them will freak out because they're like, oh my God, I've been doing so well with my training and now I'm going to fall off track. When I, The first thing I say to them is absolutely not. Because what else could we do? Could we go for a hike? Could you hire bikes and go for a cycle? Um, Are you going to be walking to many places when you're on holiday? Same thing over the weekend. I very rarely go to the gym on a Saturday or Sunday, but I might choose to go for a long walk. I might choose to go for a hike. I might get Bill and be like, let's go play basketball. Let's go play frisbee. Let's go skateboarding. So we, number one is change our idea of movement. We do want to have foundational training, which is maybe two times a week or three times a week in a gym or doing a class or playing netball. But we also, what I like to call is hybrid moving. I play volleyball on a Wednesday. I might go for a run. I might go for a hike. But then I always, always, my non-negotiable is three weight sessions so my body can remain healthy. I have enough muscle tissue. My metabolism is higher. So I keep those foundations, but I also mix up my movement. Number two, follow a program. Now, this is important for two reasons. Going in without a plan is so confusing. You don't know where to start. Now, when it comes to the brain, if you're confused and you don't have an idea, it becomes too hard. The brain likes what we call, well, I like to call a Goldilocks rule. If it's too easy, you will procrastinate. If it's too hard, you will procrastinate. Following a gym program takes the decision-making out of it. And by the end of the day, you have made over, I think it's like 70,000 decisions a day. The last thing you want to do is decide, what am I going to train? What if the gym is busy? And not know. So having a plan is so important. But also following a program allows you to make progression. It allows you to just not go into burn calories, but you can focus on getting better in a movement. You can focus on counting the tempo. You can focus on getting stronger. So it just allows you to have a different focus rather than just burning calories. Because let me tell you, it's boring. If you go into to freaking burn calories, you'll get over it. You might do it for one week, two weeks, but then the thought your body will adapt. And this is another really key takeaway. If you don't follow a program and you go in and do the same training, the same reps, the same exercises, your body then adapts and it no longer gets the results because it's adapted to it. Same thing as step targets. If you're doing 20,000 steps a day, Your body adapts to 20,000 steps a day. So you stop burning calories because your body becomes efficient at that high level of steps. Same thing with training. If you do the same exercises, same reps, same sets, your body adapts and the stimulus isn't there anymore. So you stop getting results. So number two, follow a program. Number three, hire a PT. Now, I know a lot of us will say, I can't afford it. But if you want to go on holiday, you save up. If you want to buy a house, you save up. If you want a fancy dress because you've got something coming up, you save up. 
how, just imagine if you knew how to move correctly in the gym, how much more would that motivate you to go into the gym? So what I recommend is save up for three sessions. Now, an average PT can cost anywhere from $60 to $100. So maybe save up $300, not even $300, and invest and say to the trainer, look, I'm looking to buy or purchase a three-pack. I'm looking to come in and do three sessions. Can you please teach me the basic movements of a squat, a deadlift, Romanian deadlift, um, how to use the machines? Can you please teach me to, to, to use the machines? And I'm telling you, no PT is going to turn you away. So I highly recommend save up $300, hire a PT and learn the correct movements. Go into your local gym, ask for the PT, get their prices, save up and then commit. You know what? I'm going to save up for four weeks. And then in four weeks, I'm going to come back and learn the correct movements. The biggest thing I see when it comes to training is a lack of confidence in the gym. But the lack of confidence is because we don't know how to do the movements. But now it's the chicken or the egg. How do I build confidence if I don't know how to do the movements and I'm too scared to go into the gym? So start by working with a professional to teach you how to move correctly, and then you can work up to going in the gym on your own. So top three tips for training, change your idea of movement. Instead of focusing on step targets, can we get daily movement? Instead of thinking you have to do five sessions at the gym, can you have three foundational gym sessions and maybe one class, one dancing, one volleyball, one hiking or two long walks as well. Number two, follow a program. This will remove the decision making out of it. This will also allow you to keep getting stimulus to still create results. And number three is hire RPT. This will teach you correct movements and you can also then start filming your movements for your online coach so you can then learn. So if you don't want to go in in, um, face-to-face PT, you can always film yourself for an online coach, which is what I get my clients to do, and I teach them how to move through video. So next, we're going to steer a little bit different now and we're going to get into relationships. Now, I do preface, I am not a relationship expert. I am 32 and I have learned a few things about relationships. And the two biggest relationships you will have is number one, with yourself, and number two, with a partner. So I want to give my top tips to both because they do go hand in hand, the relationship with yourself and the relationship with your partner. So let's talk about ourselves first. And now the biggest issue we have with ourselves is the way we talk to ourselves. We are kind of bullies, right? Think about it. When you talk to yourself, are you saying, you look amazing today? Let's just take a break because you've been working hard. No. Usually when we talk to ourselves, it's you can't eat that. You look fat. You're not good enough. They're going to think this about you. So-and-so is looking at It is constantly negative. And one thing I always say, and you've probably heard me talk about this before if you're a long-time listener, imagine your voice as a character, right? Now, is that character a bully or is it a friend? And this is really important because in real life, would you allow a bully to follow you around and say you're fat, you're bloated, you can't wear that, cover your arms, you're too dumb, you're not good enough? Absolutely not. You would tell that person to get effed. So, We really need to 
change the way we speak to ourselves because we're essentially fighting against ourselves. It's a constant fight and a constant battle. And this kind of links into mindset, right? So it is really important to start changing the way we talk and think about ourselves. Now, my biggest tip, number one, invest into learning how to talk to yourself different. And this is where working again with a practitioner can be really beneficial because we might not realize the way we talk to ourselves. But one tip I do want to give you, one strategy, is what I like to call the befriending technique. Now, this is also referred to as a, a reparenting technique, but for those who might not be a parent, I know it would be, for, for me, a bit difficult to think about how would I talk to a daughter because I, I am not a mother yet. So you can either do a befriending technique or a reparenting technique. And what the befriending and reparenting technique is, whenever you have a thought, what would you say to your friend or what, or sister, or what would you say to your daughter? Now, if I have a thought, I'm, oh, I feel so fat. What would you say to your daughter? Would you say to them, oh yeah, honey, you better cover up your belly. You are looking fat and I'm not going to give you dinner tonight. I mean, if you talk to your daughter like that, I would definitely suggest getting some, getting some support, but you wouldn't. Same thing with a friend. If your friend was like, oh, I'm just feeling so fat at the moment, you wouldn't say, yeah, you are looking really fat at the moment. Oh, here's my jacket. You should cover up your arms. Absolutely not. I mean, if your friends say that to you, get new friends. I'll be your friend. So it is really important to to start thinking about what would I say to my daughter in that situation? What would I say to my friend? And maybe it would look like, for example, if my daughter said to me, mommy, I'm looking really fat today. What would you say to your daughter? Would you be like, firstly, I'd probably try and figure out where is that coming from? Like, what made you say that? And then making them realize you are so much more than your body and then trying to reframe it so they realize how beautiful they actually are. Why wouldn't we say that to ourselves? If my friend said to me, I'm just feeling really fat, I would straight away again ask them, why do you feel like that? Where's that coming from? Maybe they say, oh, this girl on social media, look how amazing she is. And then I might say to her, but you're not that person. And look at your amazing qualities internally and externally. So again, why wouldn't we talk to ourselves like a best friend or a sister or a mother? So that's one thing I want all of you to start trying. The next tip for healing your relationship with self is rewiring your thoughts. And again, this links back into our first chat, we spoke about mindset. So again, we need self-awareness, metacognition, thinking about our thoughts. We need to prioritize our cognitive triad, change our thoughts, change our feelings to change our actions, and maybe looking at getting a practitioner to actually help you to keep accountable for doing this work, because it can be really easy to want to do the practical stuff like training and nutrition and not want to do the mindset stuff. And I see this all the time. So the next one, tip number three, keep promises to yourself. And this is a big one. We are the first person to let ourselves down, but we are the last person to let a partner down or a friend down or our parents down. If we say we're going to meet someone at 2 p.m., I guarantee you I'll be there at 2 p.m. If I tell my partner I'm going to cook him dinner, I guarantee you I will cook him dinner. Why wouldn't I keep the promise I make to myself? I'm going to go to the gym at 6 p.m. I wouldn't say to my friend, I'm going to meet you at the gym at 6 p.m. and then not show up. So sometimes it's just about 
making what I like to call these non-negotiables and really making sure that we keep those promises to yourself. And what I see with the women I work with is they do two weeks of keeping those promises and straight away their confidence and self-love is starting to like grow because they're building trust in themselves. Where we hurt our own relationships is we lose trust in our own self because we say something and we never action it. We never do it. I'm going to get up and go to gym in the morning. We don't do it. I'm going to eat healthy today. We don't do it. I'm going to go to bed early tonight and we don't do it. So really start to keep promises to yourself as if you're making them to a friend or a family member. Tip number four, just like Candy Crush, start easy. So Again, Candy Crush was a really, really addictive game. And I don't know if you remember it. It's going back a couple of years now, but it was probably one of the most popular games that have come out. And when you first start playing it, levels one, two, or three are pretty easy. And there's a reason they make it easy, just like with any game, because you build confidence. You're like, oh, I can do this. Can you imagine on level one, if it was super hard, would you want to keep playing? No, because you can't get past level one. So tip number four, be like Candy Crush. Start off easy. Don't start off with trying to do 10,000 steps, five sessions a week, um, journal, meditate, and all the above. Start off 5,000 steps and one gym session a week. Do that for two weeks. Tick it off. Keep that promise to yourself. Build that confidence. Build that trust. Then go to 6,000 steps. You don't need to rush this stuff in life. So tip number four. Like Candy Crush, start easy. So top tips to recap in healing the relationship with yourself, invest into learning how to talk to yourself differently and start off with a strategy of the befriending technique or reparenting technique. Number two, rewire your thoughts. So going back to our mindset uh, mindset tips we gave previously. Number three, keep promises to yourself like you would a friend or a family member. And number four, like Candy Crush, start with things you can do. Now, let's dive into relationship with a partner. So again, I am no expert, but this is my experience at 32. Relationships can be really hard. And the hardest thing I've found is because of a lack of communication. But where that lack of communication comes from is not understanding that our brains are different. And it actually wasn't until I started learning about the brain that I started to improve my relationships with those around me, especially with my partner. So our brains are very different. What my partner sees is different to what I see. Now, my tip number one is communication. We can't read minds. When I'm thinking, oh, my God, those dishes need to get put away, my partner can't read my mind knowing I'm worrying about the dishes. So I have to communicate. If I don't communicate... He doesn't do the dishes. He walks past it, puts another dish in the sink and doesn't do it. What happens is you start to build resentment and you're building resentment towards something he doesn't even know exists. So even just saying something is simply, oh, babe, I would prefer if you could actually put the dishes in the sink can actually make them realize, oh, okay, sorry, I didn't notice because that leads me into my tip number two, perception. We see things differently to our partners. Now, again, everybody sees things differently, but especially like a male to a female, we will see things differently. And I'll give an example. Around our house, I will notice dust. I will notice 
when the kitchen bench is dirty. I will notice when the sheets need to be cleaned. I will notice when the floor needs to be mopped. But my partner doesn't really see that. But he sees when the lawn needs to be mowed. He sees when the bins need to be put out. So we can't place blame on our partner for things they don't see because we see things differently. So again, I might see things on the floor as a mess. He may not see it as a mess. And you have to communicate and say, I do prefer having nothing on our floor before we go to bed. And that way he can actually understand, okay, I might need to pick up my stuff on the floor. But again, I can't see the lawn being mowed. I can't see that the lawn needs to be mowed, sorry. So if he started to build resentment towards me, but it's something I'm not aware of, again, that comes down to a lack of communication. Number three, make time. We are all busy. We all work. Some people have families. Some people have jobs. Sometimes people run their own businesses. We are all busy. And what can be really important is to make sure you spend time with your partner. Number four, and this is probably a really important point, is make sure you're listening to them. And I've caught myself doing this so many times. If my partner comes home, he's like, oh, what a day. And I'm like, oh, my God, tell me about it. What a day. This happened, this happened, this happened. And because he's opened up that line of communication by saying, what a day, I'm being so busy, all of a sudden I've made that about me and I'm like, oh, this is my cue to talk about and vent about my day. And I haven't held space for my partner. So my tip number four is hold space for your partner. When they want to talk about their day, listen, participate in the conversation and then say, can I tell you about my day now? Or once they're finished talking, say, oh, well, this happened to me today. Because what starts to happen is we we kind of lose sight of conversation with partners and it just becomes more of a venting opportunity. And then as soon as the line of, of communication is open, it's like, who can vent louder? And this is where you start saying, I'm busy, but I'm busier when it's not about that. It's not about who's busier. It's just about holding space for your partner so they can talk to you freely. And my last point, always date your partner. And this is a big one. I've been with my partner for three years and we now every Thursday continue to go on dates. And one thing I find is I still learn so many things about him. To this day, I'm still learning about him. And it that's what keeps the spark and the butterflies going because we stop dating our partner. They become like furniture. At the start, you're like, oh, my God, I just want to know everything about this person. And it's not that you've learned everything about the person after, you know, a long time of being with them. It's that we've stopped asking questions. We've stopped spending quality time. We've stopped getting to know them when really we're always growing. We're always changing. So you can never really know someone completely because you continue to change and grow all throughout your life. And with that means your partner's continuing to learn about you as you grow. So when people say, I know everything about my partner, that's where I sort of stop and say, or do you just not get to know them enough? Have you stopped spending time with them, stopped asking them questions? Because that's where we kind of stop losing that little spark because we stop that little, you know, we all like new things, right? And I always say to Bill, you're always my new thing. You're always my shiny thing. 
And that's why I'm always going to have that interest in him because I make that time to continue to date him. So to recap, how to improve a relationship with a partner, communication, we can't read each other's minds, perception, we see things differently. If I see something, he might not say it. So make sure you're communicating. Number three, make sure you're making time for your partner. We're all busy, make time. Number four, hold space for your partner. When they open a line of communication, it's not always a line for you to then vent about your day. We're never trying to one-up each other. Hold space for them and allow them to talk. And my last tip is always date your partner. Never stop learning about them because, as I said, we are forever growing, we are forever learning, we are forever changing as humans. And the day we stop learning about our partner is kind of the day that that spark and that shiny thing sort of dies. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Um, I really just wanted to give it a a podcast episode where it was really holistic tips that you can implement right away that aren't generic things that we hear all the time but don't implement. So what have we covered? My top tips for addressing mindset, my top tips for changing and learning about nutrition, my top tips for getting into training, and my top tips about relationships with yourself and also with your partner. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I will catch you on the next one. Bye.